Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is FCB Radio, where real talk lives. Visit us online at FCBRadio.com. Hello, folks, and welcome. You're listening to the Todd Allen Show. I'm your host, Professor Econ, in studio with Khalid Demar. Khalid, how are you? I am well. Good to be here. Outstanding. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Ashley Herzog. She's not with us today. She's a little bit under the weather. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, we have a special guest today. Yes. She is the assistant public defender in the felony division, and no one's in trouble. Uh, You're not getting out of a parking ticket. <laughs> no. Okay. So we want to introduce uh, a very important young lady, and her name is Kalita Sims. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for coming. We Good talked uh, a couple weeks, three weeks back, and uh, decided uh, based on some of the things I'm working on, which we will get into, that uh, it would of be course. important to <laughs> get into what you're getting into. Yeah. Exactly. And we support it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I think that we uh, want to let people know how important uh, your office is, the public defender's office, very important office. Yes. And so tell us about what you do. Well, I've been with the office for six years. It will be six years in October. And what my office does is that we represent those that are that cannot afford an attorney due to poverty guidelines, specifically those that are found to be indigent by the court. They are entitled to an attorney. So with the felony division, it's a little different because half of the cases that come through the felony court, um, half of those can be assigned counsel, which means those are private attorneys that are then paid by the court or the state. And then the other half is to the public defender's office. Okay. So I did not know that. That's, that's interesting for me to know. And what's important about this is because most people don't understand who you know don't know the constitution we have a constitutional right to counsel and that is to be provided by the public the tax dollars so it's very important uh that these public defenders exist because there are people who can't afford 300 bucks an hour or 400 bucks an hour correct for an attorney or anything an or, hour. or anything an hour <laughs> to take up for the case that they may have and so some of the public defenders give us an idea just some of the run-of-the-mill cases that they may take on. I know they could be, they could range from some of the most serious to some of the most 
non-serious. True. I mean, we don't have a choice what cases we take, so it can range from something as small as a petty theft or a disorderly conduct ticket, public intox, to aggravated murder. Mm-hmm. So it's a range of, we, we are in three divisions. There's the juvenile division, actually four. There's the juvenile division, there's the municipal division, there's the felony division, and then we have the appeals division. Uh, quick question. Um, we talk about public defender. Are we talking civil or are we talking criminal? Criminal. criminal. So the okay. civil portion would be through legal aid, the Legal Aid Society of Cleveland. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, sometimes there's a, a perception, uh, whether fair or unfair, that if someone has a public defender, they may be getting something less than. That's, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, and I was actually had this conversation with someone the other day that... (laughs) To be honest, uh, and I'm not trying to downplay some of my colleagues, but I think um, the negative perception of public defenders does come from some truth. But I don't think that reflects all public defenders. I have some colleagues that are phenomenal attorneys, but then when you hear public defender, it's almost like a scarlet letter, like, oh, you're not going to work as hard for me. You're not going to be honest, you know, just you're going to make me plea. But to be honest with you, all attorneys, whether they're a public defender or not, can have a negative... It can be a slacker. It could be a slacker, <laughs> right. They could just right. be like, I don't want to take this or I don't want to do this. But I think with a public defender, I think they get a harsher rap than what they should get. Right. But don't get me wrong, there are some that meet that well, stereotype. But, but, but to your point, I mean, that's that's with any, whether they're public defender or not. Right. Uh, it's just that sometimes there's just a negative connotation with the word public Correct. That, that, that goes along with it, whether it's public assistance or whether it's public mm-hmm. schools or whether it's public anything. Um, and, I, and I was just wondering, how does your department go about to combat that? Are there, are there certain standards that your department typically holds all of the attorneys, uh, a standard that they hold all the, count, uh, the attorneys to? Well, I'll say this. I don't think that the standard my current chief public defender has is to combat the negative connotation. Mm -hmm. I think it's to make sure that his attorneys are prepared and that they meet all the state requirements to be barred in the state of Ohio. Um, He does push trials. And I think that's to ensure that everyone has enough experience with picking a jury, having trial experience, not just so much plea negotiations. And I think that's just been a different turn than our previous chief. Okay. Uh, it, it just just in general, uh, well, I guess this would just be a general, be time, kind of difficult to, to kind of answer for all. But when you talk about public defenders, is there a, uh, a time, um, how long they've been attorneys? Is there like a general time? Are these people that are like fresh out of law school, off the bar, or do they have some years of seasoning behind them before they come to the public uh, defender's office? It's a range. Okay. So we have some attorneys in the office that have been doing this for 30 years okay. and then have some that have been doing it for three months. Gotcha. So it just depends on when there's an opening and who's hired and who applies. That's okay. more so kind of what the demographic is. Well, with experience. Uh, I'm asking for selfish reasons because my youngest daughter's finishing law school in December. Awesome. In uh, so, you know, daddy's trying to find her a job. <laughs> so she's staying Working out of my with pockets. the public, you will... <laughs> You'll learn. You'll learn a lot about the law and a lot about yourself. (laughs) Right, right. I just need to get her out of my pocket a little bit. Okay, that's that's fine. (laughs) So, in terms of indigent defense, uh, you mentioned legal aid. Yes. And legal aid has their whole uh, 
funding. Yeah, they have they, separate funding. Yeah, they have than separate us. funding. Yeah, and there's some public, uh, I guess, fundraising that they do, and I know some people involved in that side of it. Correct. But the indigent defense, as a as a general concept, is something that the state is supposed to adequately fund, and based on some things that I'm working on, which we're going to get into now, they're not funding it properly. They're not funding the entire, I guess, half the budget they're supposed to fund. I guess the, uh, the breakdown is supposed to be the counties mm-hmm. supposed to fund half, the state's supposed to fund the other half. Is that how that works? That's my understanding. So uh, based on what I've been doing with some other partners, we are working on a resolution to present to local legislators to get the state to fully fund the public defender's office. And we put this in front of several legislators, organizations to get an endorsement for this draft resolution to make that happen. And because I think uh, June 30th is the deadline we're trying to reach. Okay. So when I met you, it was kind of fortuitous because I said, oh, she's the kind of person I need to be talking to right now Okay. Uh, to get at least get an understanding uh, of this issue out there. Because I, I tell people all the time, we have to make these politicians do what they're supposed to do. We don't always succeed, but you got to you got to get on their nerves and get under their skin if if necessary to make them do this. So when it comes to the talk about the importance of funding your office and and why that's a, a public service that we all need to pay attention to. Definitely. Um with our office a lot of times with with any public defender's office it's a lot of overworked, understaffed, underpaid. And with the type of, well, being a public defender, you're not just a lawyer. I think I talked about this with someone being on the panel. We are social workers. We are educators. We are counselors. So, and we come up with almost everything. Well, not come up with. We are faced with every single issue, trauma that you could think of in the legal profession. So to have the adequate um, training, counseling, I think as well, and then tools in order to best advocate for our clients, which go in in the courtroom and also outside of the courtroom is crucial to provide that counsel that is guaranteed by our Constitution. So we need that training just so that way we can better advocate and counsel our clients in whatever issue that they may be that they may be facing as it relates to. I guess their intersection with the court system. Yeah, and and we're going to keep working on this issue, uh, and we're going to try to get this done. Um, we, you know, we have made a lot of phone calls. I appreciate it absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> and we put this in front of. So we got some endorsements from some city council members, several organizations. We are probably going to have about three or four more endorsements uh, over the next week, and we're going to get this done because we have to know that all politics is local and we can get things done here locally instead of paying attention to all the circus going on in D.C. Mm-hmm. There are things to be done here locally that right. you can get involved we in. We the people. So, we the people, absolutely. Yeah. I, have a, I have a real quick question about funding. Uh, who determines what the budget is? Is that determined by each county within the state of, within the state of Ohio or how, how is the budget determined? My understanding, and I know a little because okay. that's above my pay grade, okay. but just I understand that our HR representative and our chief public defender do work with the county execs in order to push funding for us. And they've been, I would say, since Mark Stanton has been the chief public defender, he has pushed 
okay. a lot for us to get funding, but that is through our county executives. Okay. So, so that's so, my understanding. They see them directly. So we, I know we just have a few more minutes, but if, if someone were to, and I'll ask you, Khalid, because I know that you're working very, very diligently on this. If someone were to want to be involved with helping to push uh, legislators, how would they go about getting involved in this, in this uh, project? Well, good question. What you can do is, A, you can email me at uh, khalid.namar at americantrinityproject.org. That's my civics nonprofit organization. As you know, we've been active in schools and things, teaching the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and that kind of thing. So you can email me there, and I can tell you about how to get involved. And just to know that the, uh, uh, the public defender's office has usually supposed to receive an increase based on inflation, and, and they have not been receiving those adjustments. But we're out of time for this segment, and uh, we'll, we'll give more later on, on on this issue. Kalita Sams, thank you for stopping in at thank the you Public for Defender's me. Office. And we will be back on the other side on the Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to The Todd Allen Show. Uh, Khalid, let's continue uh, from the last segment. Yeah, so, you know, we, we actually don't like to rush out too much, but we had a, a special guest. We're still here with Khalid Assembly. We asked her to hang out. We actually locked the door. Uh- <laughs> We're not Fox News. Right. <laughs> like, don't admit to a crime. Don't admit, don't admit to, to a, a crime, crime on the radio. Right. <laughs> the views expressed by Khalid Namar are not those of the Todd Allen Show. <laughs> we'll be needing a public Or of our producer office, and Todd Allen. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we wanted to just kind of get people to really understand that there are people out there who may need a public defender. Yes. Uh, and so we wanted to give you a chance to say if you need a public defender, you know, what can they do? If they have any legal questions, especially relating to criminal, um, they can contact our office. We're at 310 Lakeside Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. That's directly across from the Justice Center. And then the phone number is 216. I should know this by heart. I don't want to give my direct uh, well, you, number. Well, you, well, you don't call your everybody, office. You don't call your office often, do you? No, I don't call. I would hope not. <laughs> but the direct number is 216-443-8355. So they can call with any questions. That would include expungements as well. We do address with. Right. Yes. Okay, excellent. Because we're going to keep working on this. I want to keep in touch with you. Definitely. Let you know how we're doing. And when we get this resolution done, we're going to put out a big press release and like, hey, we got these 
people to do what they're supposed to do to fully fund the public defender's office. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kalita, for coming in. And hopefully you can come back. All right. I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, we have a, a lot of uh, a lot of good guests today, and so uh, Khalid, do you want to introduce our, yes. our second guest for today? Yeah, we met this young lady at CPAC this year, and she blew us away. Uh, she was funny, witty, wise. She was actually almost your replacement. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will. That's a. Is that a a, a, a backhanded compliment? No, uh, no, no, it's, oh, no, okay. no. It's, it's, it's an insult. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but she's all the way from Rhode Island. She's calling in, but actually she's in D.C. But she's from Rhode Island, so you, you hear the accent. Um, she wrote a very interesting book, and it's called "The Ass Backwards Way to Move Forward." A tongue-in-cheek guide to poverty and misery, and it is what it sounds. It, it, I've heard the first chapter of the audio, and it, it's uh, it's interesting. So we have on the phone Celeste Duffy. How are you, Celeste? Hello. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We, we've been talking about this for you know since February. Finally decided to get you on because your book is coming out next month. So the, yeah, I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So the ass backwards way to move forward sounds like something that should be given to every commencement uh, <laughs> dress. <laughs> so tell us what, how, or shall I say, or what is the ass backwards way to move forward uh, about? Well, in the ass backwards way to move forward, I tried to ex- uh, explore nine of the best behaviors that a person can do that would make them poor and miserable. So when I look at poverty and I look at misery, um, in my opinion, and as far as uh, the case I make in the book, is try to explore how much of uh, people's circumstance is a direct result of their own behavior and decision-making. And I make the case in the book that it's actually quite a bit that certainly while I acknowledge that there are external factors um, that no one can control that um, can assist in making someone poor and misery, uh, poor and miserable, the most important things uh, that you can focus on should you want to become poor or miserable are things that you have complete control over. And I've isolated uh, nine behaviors in particular um, that, uh, and I show in the book how participation in those behaviors can assist in uh, making you poor or miserable. Okay. So let's start with your uh, definition of, uh, of poverty. Define poverty for us in your words. Well, poverty, unlike um, which is commonly thought, um, in my book is not a monetary or financial distinction. Uh, in my book, poverty is a spiritual deprivation or lack. The spiritual deprivation and lack must be present because it is that uh, deprivation and lack that leads a person uh, to make poor decisions. And those poor decisions erode wealth. There is a direct correlation between the decisions you make and either increasing your wealth potential or decreasing your wealth potential. And if I could, let me explain what I mean by wealth potential. So each person has a wealth potential. That doesn't mean everyone's going to become a millionaire or a billionaire. 
but it means in whatever your circumstances are, you have some ability, small or great, to either gain wealth or to lose wealth. So if you start at zero, you can either add to your wealth or you can decrease your wealth. That is your wealth potential. And it is actually the decisions in a series of decisions that you make that will either increase your ability to create wealth or will decrease your ability to create wealth. I focus on those behaviors that assist in decreasing your ability to create wealth and therefore make you miserable. And you talked about the pillars of poverty. Explain that. All right, so I have nine pillars of poverty in the book. Uh, each pillar uh, describes a behavior um, that you can do uh, that will uh, decrease wealth. So uh, I'll give you an example. Some of my pillars are, um, I have a chapter uh, called um, That's My Baby, uh, How to Make Your Out-of-Wedlock Birth Count. I discuss how having a baby out of wedlock decreases your wealth potential. Uh, I have another chapter um, called Shack Don't Marry, and I look at um, statistically why uh, married uh, couples and families uh, over time make more money uh, than their single counterparts. So I make the case that, in fact, um, remaining unmarried is a great way to decrease your wealth potential. Uh, another uh, chapter um, or pillar in the book is called Go to College. It's quite controversial. Um, many people think of college, and um, it certainly has been uh, in the past a pathway to middle class or a pathway to accessing wealth. However, I make the case that today uh, that is no longer true. Uh, that, in fact, a college degree is quite inflated. It's a very inflated proposition for most uh, degrees. There are some degrees um, where this is not the case, but in, and most particularly in your liberal arts-centered programs, uh, when you uh, look at the debt-to-income ratio, uh, it's very possible that getting a degree will do more uh, to put you in debt and therefore decrease your wealth potential than um, many, many other activities. Celeste Duffy. Like finding a skill. Celeste Duffy is our guest. Celeste, so tell us, when you first wrote this book, what what gave you the impetus to write this book? Well, uh, interestingly enough, it's a a little bit of a funny story. I was co-hosting a radio show, a local radio show, uh, in D.C. at the time, it was called Politically Incorrect, and uh, we had uh, lots of guests, and much of our shows, although we did um, do a lot on culture and politics, a great uh, portion of the show was about money and, and, and sort of finance and economics. And um, one of the things that I found interesting was among a lot of the guests, um, that we would have on the show when we would look at a particular issue, um, something topical. It could be education, it could be taxes, uh, it could be marriage, it could be dating. I mean, we, we covered the gamut. Um, a lot of people saw things, in my opinion, which was backwards. They thought that the way um, to achieve wealth and happiness um, was was 
by uh, sort of changing or intervening in external concerns, um, which I thought there would be limited opportunity for a person to really um, intervene or manipulate uh, these sort of large-scale external systems. And what I thought was really um, being lost uh, in, the, in the popular conversation at that time was how much an individual could do uh, themselves. So that was sort of the impetus that got me thinking about how um, to, to look at this issue. And I wrote it um, backwards. Uh, instead of um, showing people how to find wealth and fulfillment, um, which there are a thousand books out there um, that purport to do that, I thought, would it be interesting to figure out how to find poverty and misery? And I thought it would be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, to look at it that way. Well, I think that the, this is Todd Allen. I think that the the title is 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 genius. Um, I, I'm a uh, a college professor of uh, of economics, and so I know that in many instances, when people come up with different concept theories and books, that they have financial or financial or economic theorists that they that they pretty much follow. Do you have a, a financial theorist uh, or an economist that uh, you? are more closely aligned with, or is that, is that part of the, the impetus behind the book as well? Um, no, although I do, um, as a matter of hobby, um, I don't have any official um, educational econo- uh, economic background, but as a matter of hobby, I am and have been for quite some time very interested in um, macroeconomics and monetary policy. Okay. Yeah, you work in D.C., so you better be interested in those things. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, D.C.'s a funny town. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. a funny town. So, so uh, I'm uh, one of those people that is always um, just, uh, and I'm not really sure exactly how I came about uh, that interest, but I certainly um, have had it and am sort of amazed to a certain extent at how... Um, very learned and educated and uh, accomplished people have very little information about the basic um, economic ideas or theories. I mean, um, it's, it's, this is a town where um, you can find some of the most uh, successful, I mean, regardless of demographic, race, gender, I mean, anything, um, across the board, you can find very accomplished and very successful people um, in this city. I mean, they are a dime a dozen here, but um, if you were to simply ask them, what's the definition of inflation? Yeah. Uh, no one knows. <laughs> and it's, 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 it's a real um, fascination and curiosity for me, and I would even go as far to say an indictment. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, to a certain extent that, you know, you can um, have a Ph.D., but don't quite understand your contract uh, that you signed for your mortgage. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. We, we do know that Ph.D. means piled higher and deeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, Celeste, we got about 30 seconds. Uh, tell us, uh, the, again, the title of your book, uh, your website. Go ahead and promote your book. 
All right. Well, thank you uh, uh, for the opportunity and to be on with you all today. And I hope uh, to do this again uh, in the future. You all have been just lovely, and I really appreciate it. The book is called The Ask Backwards Way to Move Forward. Um, the byline, of course, is a tongue-in-cheek guide to poverty and misery. And my name is Celeste Duffy. The website, which will be live uh, in about two weeks, is called is going to be CelesteDuffy.com. And you can get further information about how to download the book. It's a complete audio book, um, which I narrate myself. And uh, I'm excited um, for everyone to hear it and uh, to give me feedback and to get into a conversation. Yep, you'll be back. We'll have you back on because we had a lot to talk with you, to you about. Celeste Duffy, thanks for joining us on the Todd Allen Show. Thank you so much. All right, and we will be back on the other side. The Todd Allen Show. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Hello, folks, and welcome back. You are still listening to the Todd Allen Show. Bienvenido for our uh, Latin listeners. So, Khalid, how can our listeners follow you? Khalid Namar on all social media platforms. And you can follow us on Facebook, the Todd Allen Show. We have another. We keep keeping our guests moving today. We have another special guest in studio. We have uh, Chris Matthews from Literacy in the Hood here in Cleveland. And uh, that is a very interesting name. I, I met uh, Chris when I uh, spoke at a, a financial event last week, uh, Phenomenal Women's Financial Expo, and she was there, very energetic, very bubbly. She, she shook hands with everybody that was there to, to be an advocate for her program, and I was very impressed with her program and her energy. And she had her mom with her. Her mom kept her, kept her tight. Uh, so, Chris Matthews, Chris, welcome to the Todd Allen Show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. Um, I feel honored, uh, one, to talk about education, but two, just to be a guest today. Well, tell us about the program that you have, Literacy in the Hood, and, and explain the, the title behind that. Well, Literacy in the Hood, Hood stands for helping out our disenfranchised. And when we talk about our disenfranchised, we talk about that population in Cleveland that says 66% of Clevelanders are functioning illiterate or functioning below a ninth grade level. So with that being said, how do we reach out to them and how can we make a difference? One small way we can make a difference is reading 15 to 20 minutes a day, every day, no matter what grade level you're on. 
Well, yeah, I've done a lot of work um, in with the literacy cooperative as a tutor, and I know how difficult it is. Talk about some of the issues that the kids are facing when it comes to just being coming, you know, literate on on the basic grade level that's supposed to be on. Well, first, I had to uh, own up to parenting. So the first step is parenting, and the parenting starts at home, long before they reach preschool, head start, long before they reach kindergarten. But even before they reach kindergarten, there's a path. And on that path, there's something called the kindergarten ready list. Or you can Google it. And what I notice is a lot of parents are on the phone and they're on social media, but they're on it for the wrong reasons. And they're not helping their babies. And then their babies reach um, kindergarten. And right now in the city of Cleveland, we are the epidemic. And the epidemic looks like um, they can't pass kindergarten. So what they did is started something called pre for Cle, P-R-E, the number four, and C-L-E. And what that stands for is all three and four-year-olds go to school in the city of Cleveland for free. So what they're trying to do is get the three and four-year-olds ready for kindergarten because those babies were coming in kindergarten and they began to fail at an all-time rate. So right now, it's called pre P-R-E, the number four, and C-L-E. And that allows all three and four-year-olds to go to school for free. But because Cleveland is a arts and sports city, a lot of what happens with education is going brushed under the carpet. Well, I can tell you some of the issues that I've seen. Um, one of the major issues is attendance. A lot of these kids are bounced around throughout the school year and they miss time in school, which stunts their development. It's possible to teach kids when they're there like three days a week and they're missing a week here, a week there, and then you look up and they're gone in the middle of the school year. And they go to a new school and then that learning process starts all over again. Um, that's one issue. And then another issue is discipline. It was tough to teach kids when you're constantly disciplining them, when they can't be still, they can't stop talking, they can't stop arguing with the classmate. There's constant disciplining that it takes away from the learning process. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, that's one of the reasons why I transferred my son, because what I figured out, he started reading at three, and I was looking for an education system with a curriculum that could address a reader. So even though on paper they might have said they had the um, ability to address a reader, what I found is they had to deal with behavior in the classroom. They had to bring the other children up to where he was at, so then that would lead for him to be bored. Now, you know, a black male, what they're going to say, they're going to say, you got a behavior problem. So then, now I had to be his first advocate and step in, but but let's rewind back to that question. How do I feel about that? Go back to the very first part that I said. We have to take back over parenting. Yeah. Right now, school is used as a babysitting hood. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know if they got homework. We don't know if they did their homework. We don't know if they got books for school. We don't know if the school got books. <laughs> but we know we make sure they dress nice and yeah. we make sure we get them off to school. That's a good point because I've seen kids uh, in class that I've had who had very expensive looking tennis shoes on. One kid, it was 10 years old, he had an earring, he had a watch, nice-looking watch, he had nice-looking tennis shoes on, but he didn't read at his grade level. But he looked good, you know. And another girl I had that couldn't read very well at all, however, her hair was nice and braided and pretty, and I said to her, I said, oh, wow, you know, so you could tell that somebody at least takes the time to take care of her and how she looks. So I said, well, you know, who does your hair? It looks so pretty. She said, oh, my mom. But see, I believe you know? in parenting right now. And I, I really just speak for the city 
Um, and I say that because of the parents that I deal with in, in, a, in this demographic. So in this demographic, we have unrealistic expectations of what the school system is supposed to do for our children. Well, to, do you find as well that many parents who are in this situation are unable to read themselves at a, at a, at a particular level? Uh, so, I mean, I understand that but part of the, one of the things that you want to do is you want parents to basically be able to read to their, ch their children 15 to 20 minutes a day. Many of the parents may not be able to necessarily read. So how, are you, how is your program going to help to combat that as well? Okay, to help combat that, we did a collaboration with Seeds of Literacy. Seeds of Literacy is a program that gives one-on-one -on -one free tutoring. And um, what we did was I just generated a bookmark. On one side of the bookmark is Literacy in the Hood, where we encourage families to read with their kids. But on the other side of the bookmark, it has Seeds of Literacy, and then it says free tutoring, free one-on-one -on -one GED prep. And they're also finna do free GED as well as in Spanish. So when I'm on those West Side communities, um, especially since um, what transpired in the other countries, we got a lot of that overpour here. So we have a lot of Hispanics, Hispanics. we have a lot of Mexicans um, on our West Side. So being able to have Spanish materials for them, but also being able to connect them to resources if they want to become stronger readers with their children. Now let me answer the first piece of that question. If a parent can't read at all, Okay. If a parent can't read at all, um, I would refer them. But if a parent can read a little bit, I would ask the parent to read to the child on a level that they're on. And they can start from that level and begin to become stronger readers. Okay. Okay. Uh, one of the things I would strongly encourage you to do is not to allow Khalid to come take a look at the library that you're giving <laughs> the books away. Uh, because Khalid, uh, incessantly when he comes over to, to uh, my my library, uh, I I have a myriad of books which become missing, missing. And, and, okay. and never and never seem to find their way home. Yeah, what what uh, you what, you don't support literacy? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was very democratic of the way you did that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was smooth. Yeah, AOC, <laughs> way to go. Um, so so how can our listeners support what you're doing? I mean, I, I know that uh, when, when we first started. Uh, to talk about you coming on the show, I know one of the things you were doing is you were very busy going out and collecting books. Mm -hmm. Is there a location where if our listeners want to drop off books or mm -hmm. uh, how can they get involved uh, with, with supporting you with materials that you can actually be giving to kids? Okay. Um, it's a twofold for the books. It's something called the Kids Book Bank. It's on 36 in Perkins. If you just pull up in the back parking lot, they got a bin, just like the clothing bins. You can drop the books off there. You, you hear that, Khalid? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can pick some out, too. Yeah, right? you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it's, a big, it's a big enough dumpster, right? So another one. Right. In the community, we all got our smartphones. You can, pull up, you can pull up Little Free Library. A lot of people think they're just a bird box. But those little free libraries is an exchange system, and it's also a give system. And what I mean is you take a book out, you put a book in. But my son and I, so I can teach him community in the sense of give back, we go to those boxes and we fill them up and take pictures and be cheesy. But anyway, you go to those, take a book out, and put a book in. And then the third way, you can reach us on Literacy in the Hood, all platforms, Instagram, Facebook, as well as Twitter, you can email us at literacyinthehood at gmail.com, and then you can give us a call at 216-469-2646. Again, it's Literacy in the Hood, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, literacyinthehood at gmail.com. Thanks for having me today. 
Well, we're not quite done. You, oh, you ain't, you ain't getting off that easy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, you have a board then. So you said you have a nonprofit that you yes. have a board. Okay. So how can people within the community, if, if they want to do more than just give books, how can they become actively involved with what you're doing? Because this is a very serious challenge uh, for our community. I'm always looking for volunteers because I can't be everywhere. However, our children need books everywhere. And that's not just a cute saying. Like, um, it's summer. It's something called the summer slide. If they don't read over the summer, they go back to school at the um, school year reading just a little bit lower than what they're left off at. So how can I connect with volunteers, volunteers that can go to the festivals for me, just can pass out books. It's just simple, free books, like ain't no gimmick. If they allow us to, we snap a quick picture. Um, funding, we always looking for donations so we can get t-shirts, so we can get trinkets, so we can send the brand a little further, so we can create a culture where reading is fun again. Right now we're all doing like this and we don't do like this no more. And then the third way is just email us at Literacy in the Hood. When we have one of our meetings, you're welcome to come out. When we're in the community, you're welcome to come out to get a feel for what we do. Does your organization have a grant writer to kind of help you with funding? Um, right now? Currently, yes. Currently, we have a small grant writing, but we're always looking for. Um, okay, well, you, you you've come to the right place here. We can we can get you connected with with uh, some individuals that may be able to help you with grant writing. Thank you, you so help. much. Like we really appreciate it. I also know that uh, Khalid has a nonprofit that deals with uh, helping students understand the Constitution. Um, do you, are there yeah, yeah, the American Training Project. We've been active in schools. Uh, in addition to my work as a, a, a reading tutor, so I, I feel what you're. Uh, saying today, I have been in schools and some colleges too. We teach civics, we teach civic responsibility and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and we teach people, young people, how to understand their local and state and political process. So, uh, especially high school, you're going to be voting very soon, uh, even in middle school. Uh, so, that's what we do. So, real quick, tell us how they, our listeners can follow you again. Um, literacy in the Hood at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Literacy in the Hood at gmail.com, 216-469-2646. And then also you can go on YouTube, type in Literacy in the Hood, and get a feel for what we do in the community. Thank you so much, Chris, for being a guest. And we'll be right back. You're listening to The Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to The Todd Allen Show. 
Khalid, this has been uh, a very uh, rewarding day. We, we've had some phenomenal women on the show so far today. And uh, we have another guest in the studio where it just doesn't seem to, to stop. So we're going to continue. We have with us author of the book called Finally, Seven Things It Took Me 40 Years to Learn, uh, Stephania Shine. Did I say that correct? You sure did. Welcome to the Todd Allen Show. Thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, we had an opportunity to talk um, off air. And I must say that uh, from, from, from the short conversation that we've had, I think that the book that, you, that you've written is, is, is outstanding. And I would tell my listeners that it's a must buy. Uh, tell us about the impetus behind the title in the book and, and what the journey was for you to actually come to the, conclu- come to the point where you're actually writing this book. Well, it's, it's, it's really behind the numbers, okay? So um, at 33, I, I think it's when I feel like life pulled the rug from out under me, okay? That's when everything that could go wrong in my life went wrong. I mean, everything. And on top of everything going wrong, my mother died that year. And so here I am at 33 years old. I had moved to a new city. I didn't know anybody there. And three days after I got there is when my mom died. And she was there with me. And so my journey from 33 to 40, it was a seven-year journey for me. Um, and, and with number seven being the number of completion, 40 being the number of maturity. And ironically, 33 even was a very significant age because that was also the same age Jesus was when he died. And so those, all those numbers played a very significant role in my life. And that journey, that seven-year journey is when it was just me and God, me really coming to terms with who I was and who I was created to be. And by the time I hit 40, it was like, I got it. You know, I really, really came. And so that journey was important to me, and I thought that maybe it could help somebody else. So, so you're good now? I'm good. Okay. Just check Just, just check <laughs> it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about where, where, where you're from. Uh, well, I'm actually from right here, Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. I tell people all the time that um, Cleveland raised me, but Atlanta saved me. Okay. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah, that, that's, we're going to strike that, that word Atlanta out of the uh, so, Yeah. I mean, now y'all need to be thankful for Atlanta. I mean, it, it for me, because it really, really was the place where I could really bloom and become what God had wanted me to. So, so just curious, what would, what's the difference? What could you or what did you receive in Atlanta that you could not have received here? I mean, well, I don't know. Cleveland may get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going to say this. You know, I do believe that God visits Cleveland but he lives in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> that was creative. That was good. That was good. Sounds like and, an author. <laughs> and so I needed to be where God was. And really at that time of my life, that's where I felt his presence. So even when I came back to, for my mom's funeral, I left immediately because I wanted, it was a feeling. And even, let me tell you something, my mom was terminal. I didn't know, right? And when her pastor had went to see her in the hospital to pray to God to give her more time, she's like, I don't want any more time. I just need to get my daughter to Atlanta. So I knew Atlanta was my place of blessings. Okay. Okay. What's your favorite chapter of the book? Um, 
blame it on me. I was just reading that. <laughs> <laughs> That's the uh, chapter on accountability. Oh, chapter on accountability. So talk about that. Blame it on me. You know, we have um, we have a tendency to we we live in a time where we have a reason for everything that's wrong with us. You know, whether it's dating back to slavery or then we make it personal, something that our parents did or something that happened to us. But I believe that once you get a certain age, you are responsible for your church choices. I also am a strong believer that we become the product of our choices and not necessarily the product of our environment after a certain age. Wow, okay. And I believe that accepting and owning your mistakes and what you've done in your part in anything helps your healing process. Yeah. Well, well, can I tell you, though, that is a very uncommon thing for people to be able to do because uh, working in, in, in the world, you meet people who cannot take any type of constructive criticism. I mean, the first words you utter, they automatically, their, their fists go up and they eventually strike back with some sort of defense mechanism and you're not even really criticizing them. But it's easy just to say, you know what, I screwed up. Sorry, my bad. You know, you it's like think. in sports, right? Hey, my bad. That was on me. But that, but, that, that becomes you know. a political environment as well. Yes, and so I think yes. that this book is very timely because it seems, I mean, you hear all the time that this is probably one of the worst times that in, in, in a long period of time where people are just, they just have a visceral response to any type of criticism. Uh, and they want to blame people outside of themselves. So, I mean, so how did you come to that conclusion? I mean, if, if a person were to come to you and say, hey, you know what? I think everybody around me, it's to blame for where I am in my life. But then you have this message of you have to take responsibility for your actions. How do you coach somebody through that? Well, first, I, I let them know that they're not in bad company because we got that whole thing from if you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that is exactly what Adam and Eve did. You know, when, once they did what God told them not to do, the first thing when God asked Adam, you know, where are you? He was like, that woman you gave me. And then it wasn't even a question. But that's usually how it works, though. <laughs> you know, so immediately. Well, what, you're saying it's her fault? It's usually, it's a woman involved. Well, no, but wait a minute. And then he blamed her, and then she blamed the serpent. Great. Neither yeah. one took responsibility for what they did. So you think if they took responsibility that God would have said, okay. I think the day would have ended up a lot different. Okay. That's wow. Good. That's good. That's interesting. Well, I'll say that it, it's painful for some people. You know, look, I, I screwed that up. Sorry. You know, it's 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 easy, and it goes. It's like I find this. It works in traffic. If you everybody has cut somebody off, right? We've mm -hmm. all made a mistake in traffic. I have a lot more respect for the person that says, "Throw up their hand and say, my bad. I'm sorry. I, you know." And then it's cool. But when somebody does it, and so there's insult and injury. So you can injure someone, and they can kind of get over the injury. But the insult is basically shrugging your shoulders and saying, "Okay, so." You know, it is. and so that's the whole thing of just being say, look, hey, my bad. I screwed up. Everybody does it. I'm sorry. And, and, and I think you make a good point. And but but I want to kind of piggyback on another chapter that you, you've written in the book. Mm -hmm. and, and we talked about again off air is a concept of love mm -hmm. that it, when a person um, takes responsibility for themselves. And then you talk about what love really is or isn't. Mm -hmm. Can you then say that when a person takes responsibility for themselves and then they're showing a true indication that they love themselves? Because, you know, we've all been taught, you know, love the Lord thy God with all that strength, all their heart, all their might, 
and love thy neighbor as thyself. And we think that there's two commandments there, but there's really three. Mm -hmm. Because the third commandment is you have to love yourself. Which is implied, right? Which means that I believe we were born loving ourselves because God never told us that. He never had to command us to love ourselves. He said, I know you already love yourself. I just need you to love everybody else the same way. So somewhere along the line, we have... We have bought into some lies. We have bought into some things that have caused us to not love ourselves or maybe love ourselves too much. Or even know what love is. And know what it really is and, okay. what it, and what it represents. And, and like I said, a lot of times um, love is described as this, you know, this, the emotional part of love. This euphoric feeling, this thing that just comes over you and, oh, I just don't know. I'm, I fell in love with them. I, that used to bother me because I used to say, how can you meet a person and fall in love with somebody you don't know? I mean, don't you have to experience life with them? Life, death, and ups and downs. Well, and I mean, you, you people take less time buying a, buying a house that they're going to live in for 30 years. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's, it, was, it was just mind-boggling. So imagine growing up in that, and especially our culture, between culture to me and religion, and I, I'm, I'm more so talking about the black community, we have been, this whole emotionalism has just been a part of our culture. And so we, we base everything off how we feel. Mm-hmm. Would yeah. you just say that that's black culture? Or would you just say that it becomes American culture in, in particular? Well, no, I, don't, I won't say, I, when I say cultures, I'm very, very specific because when you look at other cultures, I'm not talking about black or white, I'm talking about cultures now. When you start dealing with like um, Indians, right, and different type of cultures and what, when it become, comes to marriage and family and things, it's not emotional decisions that are made. These are legacy decisions that are made in these cultures. Our cultures say meet somebody that is, it's a feeling. You fall in love. It's how you feel. And so based on how we feel, you know, that goes up and down. And so that's why... We have a 60% divorce rate because when we're no longer feeling mm-hmm. the way that we were feeling, then that's the end of that. But guess what? Purpose doesn't change, you know? So if you marry based on or you connected with a person because your purpose was in line, then there you have it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stephanie Shine is mm-hmm. our guest. So how many people have called you Stefania? Uh, is that more common? No, I get it a lot. <laughs> yeah. I get it a lot. I'll thank you. Thankfully, you told me because I would have read this as Stefania, uh, but it's as Stephanie. long as you just don't say Stephanie. A lot of people are like, "Well, can I call you Stephanie?" I'm, I'm like, "Well, can I call you John?" I'm like, <laughs> it's not my name. Yeah. <laughs> Stephania Shine. The book mm-hmm. is finally, and do you have a website? Um, I have not put this book on a website yet because my first 500 copies, I wanted to personally sign them. Um, and then after I sell my first 500, and I'm close, it will go on a website. Okay. Okay, so we got a couple minutes left. Give us a, a little quick uh, primer on your chapter on forgiveness. Oh, man, forgiveness is really big. So we know, we all grew up hearing this. I forgive, but I won't forget. That's not real forgiveness. Real forgiveness is, we have to understand, unless we suffer some type of amnesia or brain um, memory loss, of course we can't forget. But we have to forgive and move forward as if the offense never occurred. Meaning that you don't bring it back up. You don't. And you you don't. You I mean, that's real forgiveness. We have to learn how to forgive like God, okay? How he forgives us. I mean, once he forgives us, I, I that's the end of do, it. Ma. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, that's real forgiveness and, and letting people, and it's not, forgiveness is not even for the other person. Yeah, because, you know, we've all, we've all, yeah. I've always I, said, you know, God, you know, God saved their soul, but leave their behind for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I heard a comedian, I heard a comedian talk about that. He said, you know, your woman never forgets when you mess up, you know, because if you had an affair, it could be 10 years later. And you're like, uh. You know, honey, make a left at this corner. Uh, did you make a left with that chick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And see, that's not really real forgiveness. Real forgiveness he really heals you from the inside out. Yeah. And you almost you almost get to the point where you even forgot. Is that right? Now, so I guess I can't ask you stories about that when you forgave somebody. Well, you know what? I forgive quickly. You let me tell you why. I forgive real fast because all I think about is I'm knowing probably in the next thirty minutes I'm gonna need some forgiveness. And so that's how I dish it out, based on how I know I'm going to need it. That quickly, huh? 30 minutes. I mean, and I'm going to need it from God. I'm talking I'm going to need it on a higher level. I might, you know, I'm cool with you not forgiving me, but I can't live without God not forgiving me. I'm, you know. So so tell us about your book signing real quick. Uh, I have a book signing tonight, huh? Well, actually, your next, like, your travels. Okay, so my future travels is, yeah, because, okay. So um, my next book signing is in Dallas, Texas. Um, July 10th, I believe it is. Um, but I, people can contact me to get this book because like I said, I'm making it personal. I'm, I'm writing different messages to different people. I'm really making this out the gate and, and really, really staying connected to it early. But, um, you can email me at stephanieashine at gmail, and then I will email you how to get the book and, um, I'll mail it, sign it and mail it personally. And um, I think is I think that this book will really help a lot of people. Yep, Stephanie Shine. The book is finally. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with us. You've been a light today for us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Todd Allen Radio. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Todd Allen Show. Welcome to the second hour of the Todd Allen Show. And for our listeners in Latin America and Florida, bienvenido. Okay, Khalid, let's talk about... Wait a minute, wait a minute. You said Latin America and Florida? Correct. What's the difference? (laughs) (laughs) Florida's in the United States. (laughs) Come on, you teach civics, right? (laughs) Well, that would be geography. Um... (laughs) Right. Did you have a headache coming up with that question? <laughs> no. That, that is the I mean, problem. You said, I don't know. I, I heard a comedian once say that she just got back in the country. She just came from Florida. So. <laughs> right. Right. Don't we have, do we have a you big dummy from, uh, from Florida this, this week? <laughs> we, could. We, we could. It's possible. It's possible. Right. Right. It's so, possible. But uh, speaking of geography, let's, let's talk a little bit about our uh, present commander-in-chief, uh, Donald J., 
went overseas to Trump uh, in the UK. Trump in the UK. I love it when he travels. He went to uh, to high five and belly bump the Queen. Uh, <laughs> the uh, it was amazing to me that the the media was just waiting for him to flub up or to uh, stumble over himself and to to act a certain way. And I think they were a little bit disappointed that they he did not. Uh, fall all over himself and, and embarrass himself or the country while he was there? Well, there were protests. Um, lots of, well, I won't say lots. I don't know how many. We'll but, just say from the left over there anyway. Yeah, from, from, from the left. But he did have a little dust up with the British, I mean with the uh, mayor of London who he doesn't get along with. <laughs> I, I just wish he wouldn't do that. Uh, I just wish he would not engage in that type of back and forth banter with nonsense that, but, that, but that's who he is yeah and and, and i don't like it um they, they, <laughs> we knew but we knew when we elected who, who, yeah, who he was but you just hope that sometimes he just i'm not going to respond to that the, so the mayor we know that the, while they're clamoring and making comments about his lack of civility they show it all the time that's the irony they show right? they lack show of lack of, all the time right but they complain about his but they show it all, all the, the time. time right so this mayor of london um Sadiq Khan, I think it's his name. Um, he made a comment to Trump or insulted him or something. And Trump goes back to him, oh, this guy's a loser. He's like Correct. he's like de Blasio, you know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's before he even landed. Right, right. He's on Air Force One on yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he gets along pretty well with the Queen, and I think Prince Harry was trying to avoid him. Um, but then there was this dust up with Meghan Markle who made a comment about him. He actually said some nice things about her, but that's not how the media reported it. But um, that became a story for a couple of days. Well, that that whole issue was it was a false report. Yeah, it was, it was a false. It was fake news. Yeah, he, explain he, that the, for our listeners. He he made a comment based on something someone had asked him about her comments about him. So he said, "Oh, oh, I didn't know she was nasty." He said it that way. But they took it as him calling her. Correct. Na- they, oh, they he said she was nasty. It was totally an inverted comment. Correct. Uh, he had said some very nice things about her, and, and you know I think she she'll do great, blah blah blah. But that's how not how, that's not how they reported it, and that became a story for a few days. Then of course you had all the protests with the typical Nazis, racist, bigot, blah blah blah. You know they also had the Trump blimp. Yeah, with some somebody somebody popped that big balloon. <laughs> it had, yeah, it had it had diapers on it. Yeah, it, this, this the left is just they're they're nutbags. So. But he got along well with the queen um, and had all the state dinners and took all the, the silly pictures with the tux and all that stuff on. Now he's in France and he gave a pretty nice D-Day speech. Him and Macron um, <laughs> are, they have a little bit of rough history, but they seem to be getting along well today. At least last time I checked. Right. <laughs> right. With Trump, it can change in any right, moment. At any moment. Yeah, but uh, I just wish he wouldn't engage in that type of enough's enough. You don't have to go back. Our parents told us when we were kids. You don't always have to respond when somebody says something. But he has. He never lets anything go. Then he, before he left, he found a, a minute to insult Bette Midler uh, as a washed up uh, nutcase or something. It's like, dude, you don't have time, Mr. President, to worry about celebrities in Hollywood. Just let them rant. You have bigger things to worry about. Right. Bette Midler. Um, and I think who else he got into with uh, a few months back, uh, some other celebrity female. I, I just leave it alone. But that is who he is. I mean, he's he's a classic New Yorker. When have you ever known a New Yorker to back down from anything? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta just 
keep your mouth shut and move on. Speaking of New Yorkers and keeping their mouth shut and moving on, let's talk about AOC for just a moment. The uh, the census is is um, making a change. They're actually going to include a, a question about nationality. And AOC and those of her ilk are very upset about it, and they don't want this question asked. They think that there's something wrong with the census asking the nationality of someone. Why are they so upset about this in your view, Khalid? Well, not in my view. I can tell you what, what they said. They are afraid that this question will scare immigrants from, from responding uh, to any other questions about their status, that it will scare them underground. Um, we know that the, according to the Constitution, populations count towards uh, congressional representation. And what the uh, Commerce Department, which is headed by Wilbur Ross, who, has, who wants the question ans answered on the census as a citizenship, they're saying we need to know how many people are there, Correct. who these people are. Correct. What they're saying on the left is, well, you're going to scare these people. They won't necessarily want to come forward. Blah, blah, but blah. they want to be counted. They want to be counted. They, they, they want they want the people right. to be counted, but they don't want them to say right. whether so they, or not. They're yeah, right. but they don't like the question, which hasn't been answer, answered on the census in about forty years or so, thirty years maybe. Well, there, there was never really a, a, a specific need as there is now. But it, right, but it was at one time it was answered mm -hmm. because we have to know now populations are included whether they have political power or not. We include children, we include prisoners. We have to know the number of people. We should know who's here illegally. We should know if this country truly belongs to people of the United States and not whoever decides to come here. And that's a whole other story. Well, part of the challenge there, too, is that you have some of these communities where uh, they refuse to work with, with ISIS or, they, they, or ICE. They refuse to work with uh, law enforcement, federal law enforcement to, from an immigration perspective. Um, and they want to continue to get government funding uh, from the federal government for for whatever it is that they're doing within their cities, and that's basically on population, etc. As you said before, I don't, I, I just, I just don't quite understand what they're thinking, or, or these politicians who are elected officials, they're not responsible for representing those people who are here illegally. They're here to represent those people who are legal and voters. So what what why are they, what did they fall and bump their head? I mean, what are they thinking? Well, they 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 don't think they feel they don't feel that we have a right to know who's here illegally. They just don't. I mean, just it, as simple as that. There's, it, there's no other reason I can think of. I mean, when you have a politician that says, "Hey, I represent the the, the legal and illegal individuals in my in my in my district," that's a falsehood. So this just I uh, just found this story. Uh, a judge delays review of serious allegations of citizenship question cover-up. So a federal judge in New York is delaying his review of allegations that the Trump administration concealed the real reason for adding the citizenship question of the 2020 census. That is so misleading. So it, the Supreme Court is deciding this issue now, right? And but, but, on, on but, but, that's, but that's so misleading to say the real reason yeah, that yeah, is very yeah, subjective yeah. maybe they found some secret documents or something but you notice there's always these lower court federal judges which is a whole other issue that these they unelected can, officials want to basically uh, legislate yeah. from the bench yeah and, and they're trying to uh, 
put forth their agenda by making some injunction or some decision for the whole country. So you're in the Sixth Circuit or the Ninth Circuit, and the president makes a decision. You can decide, oh, we have an injunction against this. For the whole entire country. I mean, that's just crazy. So it's going to happen, I think. Um, I think it's already been decided, at least <laughs> for all intents and purposes, but we will find out. But the, the left doesn't, you have to realize something. This is the you, what I call the you can't do that Congress, right? Every time the president does anything, you can't do that. He tries to stop people from coming to the country. You can't do that. He tries to round up illegals. You can't do that. He wants to build a wall. You can't do that. He tries to declare a national emergency. You can't do that. It, it, if you think about it, according to them, he can't do anything. Correct. And they have oversight of everything. Right. The Constitution gives the president like no power in their minds, and they have the, all the power to stop everything he tries to do. Uh, and, not, and not only that, if they don't like a report that came out from yeah. the Inspector General, they can go and re-adjudicate it. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you can't do that either. Right. And it's, it's so silly. I would ask these fools... What can I do? Like, there's a constitution. I'm, I'm ahead of the executive branch. Tell me what I can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm going to listen to you, right. but I want you to tell me, because it's like, if you listen to them and you look at the history, they have fought everything. And everything is, well, you, you can't do that. You can't do well, that. Well, this, this is the same argument that, that Obama said about the, the Republican Congress when he was saying that there was the, 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 the do-nothing Congress. But this is really... A do-nothing Congress. No, it's the you-can't-do-nothing Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we'll be right back. You're listening to The Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to the Todd Allen Show. Follow us at uh, on Facebook at Todd Allen Radio Show. Khalid, how can uh, our listeners follow you? Uh, Khalid Namar on all social media platforms. Now, Khalid, let's talk a little bit. Let's change gears a little bit. It's uh, and, and talk about um, what's happening in the world of sports, in particular, the National Basketball Association, where there's some scuttlebutt if you will about changing a particular name or what they call a particular thing yeah so it came out this week there's been discussions amongst nba brass of refraining from using the word owner (laughs) because it's racially insensitive it's racially insensitive and it started with draymond green made a comment a couple years ago uh why are these guys called owners okay draymond uh, let me explain something to you. If, you. if you're listening, Draymond, I know you had tough, suffered a tough loss last night, thankfully. Um, but anyway, um, ownership applies to the team as a business. An NBA team is a business. They don't own the players. They, they own the business, the corporate entity as a business they don't own the individual players any more than the owner of a private company owns his employees correct so if you have like a large private company i'll give you an example penske right penske is a large private company they do he doesn't own roger penske doesn't own the individuals who work for him he owns the corporate 
entity, the business. He doesn't own the driver. So the same, right. So the same as the NBA team, sir, you're not owned by the person whose name is on the... He went to Michigan State, right? Yeah, he did. (laughs) I don't even think they would claim him. I mean, these people are so silly to even have this discussion. I can't even tell you. Uh, Michael Jordan is an owner. Correct. Of of an NBA franchise. But But this is indicative of how... Uh, the, the certain segments of the population are trying to hijack words. The left, not a certain segment, the left. The left loves to take words. I, I, I made a joke on Twitter that why don't the ATP and the WTA stop using the word serve in tennis? Because we don't want a black person <laughs> serving a white person. Well, let's keep going with this. Let's keep going with this. But why stop there? Yeah, yeah, it, it's... These and, and then why would it stop with the NBA? Why, why wouldn't it go you know, yeah. within business itself? Yeah. Let's go through every sport and cleanse every word that, that is some uh, person could, could say. It, it's so dumb. The, but, you know. the challenge is that, that some people are taking this seriously. That's the sad yeah, thing. Yeah, they had a discussion about it. Yeah. This, that's the sad thing about it. Yeah, owner. Owner is now a – what? They had owners in the NBA when it was all white in the 1950s. Correct. Right? So I'm sorry – this whole twisting and turning and contorting of things to fit somebody's slave narrative is annoying. But it, this, it is absolutely annoying. But this also goes to the idea of victimization because many of the players in the NBA are black. Okay, what about the white guys? They have owners too, right? <laughs> I mean, these people are, oh my God. Right. I, I, the fact that they had, I wouldn't, I'm telling you something. Had they called me as an owner of and said, hey, we're going to have a meeting about using this word on. Out. Hello? <laughs> Hello? Is this thing on? Hello? It's a waste of time. I, I would have not even entered. I don't entertain silliness. And this is the silliest thing in the world. These people need to grow up and, and need to get rid of their silly slave mentality. LeBron talked about, yeah, the owners, they had that slave mentality. First of all, no, dude, they have an owner's mentality. You are an, they're an owner of a business. You are not, and there's a conflict. So when you have a millionaire versus a billionaire, do not bring slavery into but, but, it. I don't but, care what color the people are. It's always a millionaire versus a billionaire. But here's the thing that bothers me as well, that you can have, I mean, I'll use my, my, my stepfather as an example. My stepfather worked six days a week, 12-hour days, right? And he didn't make the, the money that many of these athletes make, right? But the idea or the thought of, well, I'm going to be upset with the, the owners or the shareholders of, of, of Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company because they shouldn't be called owners because then that violates oh, because because at the end of the day you're you're hired to to do perform a certain task to increase production productivity. For some reason, athletes believe that they're above that they they go to work just like anybody else, but because they're paid more money for their job because you know, there's not a lot of people that do what they do when they're entertainers. All of a sudden, they think that they're better than, or that they, no, or, or that they or deserve. Equal to, or, they're equal to. They think they're equal to owners. And, and well, what I'm saying is they're better than the people than the, the people who work nine to five or work whatever jobs that they do to come watch them as entertainers. That they feel that they're above, that they're better than the very people that watch them. But, but somehow they need to have, as you said, equal status. Right. That I don't have. I don't have an owner. Well, whose name is on the check? Right. It's it's yeah. typically the yeah. owner. All right, or the person responsible yeah. for that business. It's, 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 I can't tell you. See, you, one thing I say about these guys in the NBA, many of these guys have never been in the real world, and that's a fact. 
They've gone from high school, at best, a year or two in college, and then to the NBA, and they're making millions of dollars. These guys have never so much as worked at a fast food restaurant. They've never washed cars. They've never raked leaves. I'm not kidding. <laughs> LeBron, think about it. He's been a millionaire since he put his name on an a, a endorsement contract at 17 years old. I don't know if he's ever had a job. Kobe certainly didn't have a job. He grew up a wealthy kid in Philly with his dad and then went straight to the NBA. These guys have never worked in the real world. So they, they are completely ignorant of a lot of things. They are. They've traveled. Yeah, so what? They've played in different countries sometimes. Yeah, so what? But they don't know. These guys are, are not the, the, the sharpest the, knives in the drawer. The, the challenge that I have, though, is that even though they, they may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, they still have a, a platform where they're trying to create policy. And that becomes problematic. But, and, but, but what happens also is that you have John Q. Public, because these people are, they have a platform and that they're able to voice a certain opinion, that you have many people who are regular Joes that get behind them and say, well, yeah, they're right. It's like, no, they're just popular. It doesn't mean that they're right. I'll tell you what this is a, a legacy of, yes. When it started to get worse when Muhammad Ali passed. And just a few years ago, because they started to look back on the young Cassius Clay from the 60s, who was, it was a different time, obviously. It was a tumultuous decade. It was assassinations. It was, you know, racial oppression going on in the South. Jim Crow, we know all this. It was a different time. But even he changed when he turned 25 and 30 and 35 and 40 because the times changed. These people are now trying to live of back in the 60s so they can feel important about themselves. Right. It's it's, uh, it's said instead of moving forward yeah. and living yeah. off the, the backs of those who were getting before right. us, they're trying to yeah. go back to a time where everything is racist. The, I mean, I, people don't understand the difference between, between racism and prejudice. We all have prejudice or prejudgments of or or one way or another. But to say simply because someone doesn't like something and that person has to be a different color doesn't make that person a racist. Well, you know, it's like this. These guys are, uh, they, they live like kings. They really do. And they live better than most people in society. They are treated better than most people in society. If they, if they knew a history of the pro athlete in America, the black athlete, where the Globetrotters had to stay in a county jail because they couldn't get a hotel room, but a traveling monkey at the same time could. That's true. Yeah. Why? Or they were flying coach in the 1970s, eating hot dogs for breakfast, as Austin Carr will tell you. They go from that to earning more money in one game than certain guys earned in two or three years playing. Five-star hotels, multi-million dollar endorsements. LeBron, the king, lives better than real kings did 100 years ago. Right. But they, there's some guilt attached to that. You think it's guilt? A lot of them have guilt attached to how well they're living. And they feel like, I have to live, I have to do something, I have to, I have to grow an afro, I have to you know, <laughs> I knew, you know wear I knew a Malcolm Ka X t-shirt. I, I, I knew Kaepernick was coming up yeah. there somewhere. I have to I wear mean, a t-shirt with, with you, Malcolm's face on it to, <laughs> to do something. You know, Because you also have these individuals because, okay, Kaepernick for, you know, was out where, of the league. Where is Kaepernick? I, I don't know. He he. I think he's working with Nike or something. I but I, I don't see the guy. Where is he? I, I don't know. Okay. It's not football season. Because I, I thought that there were some issues to be solved. I don't see him. Anyway, go ahead. But, well, the thing is that then because he's out of the league, then people want to say, well, he has a right to be employed in the NFL as a quarterback. No, it's dance for not well, for long. Well, 
<laughs> yeah, not for long in the NFL. Yeah. The, the, no, the, you, don't, you don't have a right to be an NFL quarterback. And, and even though that people say, well, you know, that people protest, be, and, 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 you know, you can't protest during work hours. What you do off, off, off the clock, that's your business. But you don't hijack the business that you work for because you want to have your, your, your political voice. Yeah. And to say that the, pers- the people who pay the bills have to support that. <laughs> that that's yeah. – where, well, where, 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 where is that okay? Well, other people in the league who, who did take a knee, almost all those guys are still playing. Correct. He's the only one, isn't it? And I, and I know why. Um, his impact is different than theirs, number one. And also, he could have been playing. It's not like he could well, have he, been he, he was offered a contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got, he got money from Nike. And just like Jason Whitlock said, he kind of, once he got paid, he's good. He got a huge, nice little piece of change, maybe less than $10 million, But still, he's fine. He's got a Nike deal. He's fine. And I don't hear him anymore. I don't see him anymore. Right. If you really want, want to do real work, there's real work to be done. But where is he? And where are all these people who were behind him? What are you doing? I'll say this as a reading tutor, which you talked about, you know, uh, today. None of the people who were living in that community were volunteers at that school, which uh, at, at, the, at the school that I was at mm-hmm. in the middle of town. None of them were from that community. They were white people, sixty plus, from suburbs who bust in twice a week for months. To help out. To help out with these kids. Mm-hmm. But no one from that community was there. But that the expe- should tell you everything you need to know. But the expectation is that y- y'all need to help my kid. Yeah. Go so ahead. all I'm saying is it's easy to to grandstand and to protest and to wear, like I said, wear an Afro, wear a Malcolm X t-shirt. But when it comes to actually showing up and doing any real work, I know it because I'm out here. I don't see the people who you think you, you need to see. So do you think that this is uh, grandstanding on the part of the NBA to, to – is, is it some sort of – is this some way white that they're guilt. trying to – Okay, so it's not them trying to be socially conscious, but it's Well, just, yeah, it's that, but it's white guilt. Yeah, but These, I mean, but it's misplaced social social it consciousness, which is redundant because most of it is. <laughs> but I'm just saying that these guys, these owners, somebody got in their ear and they just we need to have this conversation. These guys are guilty, self-deprecating white males and they want to placate these clowns. But if, look, I'm not on the NBA payroll. I don't care what they do, but I think it's silly. I think so. I think silly as well. And I'm, I'm just sad that this is becoming an issue. And we'll look to see what happens if this thing gathers legs in the upcoming months. So. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to know what word they're going to use. <laughs> maybe, maybe we should come. There, there are words that you said that people shouldn't use, but yeah, maybe we yeah. should come up well, with Well, I them. heard in real estate they don't use the word master bedroom anymore. Okay. I, I think that is true. All right. Do you think it's dissimilar, the same thing? Yeah. Matter of fact, let's come up with some words that the NBA should use uh, instead of owner. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. We'll, we'll, we'll bring that up about next week. So, uh, folks, you're listening to The Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Welcome back, folks. You're listening to The Todd Allen Show. There was a heavyweight fight that took place, uh, I think it was last week, was it not, uh, Khalid? Uh, it was on last weekend. It was last weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will have to say this, that the new heavyweight champion um, does not physically look 
the roll. No, no, no roll. Well, well ro- roll. Pardon the pun. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, Rolls. Well, we talked about this with with our guy Showbiz, the adult, who's the boxing analyst on our show. He'll he'll be on next week. Uh, oh, excellent. yeah, he'll be on next week to recap this fight. Showbiz, the adult, check him out on YouTube. Uh, he'll be on with us next week. But we did talk about this previously before the fight. We talked about the fight, and we both agreed that yeah, the fat man can fight. You know, he's got some skills. I never thought he would win. My coach predicted, uh, he called me up a few days and, and kind of predicted that this could happen. He said that it could happen. He said, this guy has fast hands. Okay. And don't be shocked with it if it's an upset. Right. And he told me that well, actually I mean, on, he did, on Thursday. He, did, he didn't really have to be fit because, you know, he, 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 put, he put the hands yeah, in the but guy he, but, quick. He, but, but he's got speed. He can fight. Yeah. And we said this. But I really want to talk about the fact that before the fight, and I'm, I'm over at my friend's house, and I'm, I'm like yelling, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm asking questions like, Andy Ruiz was born in, in uh, he's a resident, he's born in the United States, he lives in Imperial, California, so he's a Mexican, he's a Mexican descent. But um, he's an American citizen. But he's an American citizen, he was born here. Right. Why did they play the Mexican national anthem before the fight? Anthony Joshua, who he fought, is from the UK, yeah, you play the UK national anthem. They play the American national anthem, fine. Why did we play the Mexican national anthem? That, that's a good question. I have no idea. I don't like it because I, here's I, I the thing. I don't like it either. I you, mean, if you're talking about patriotism. You, your right? parents brought you here is because Mexico gave you nothing. You're an American. When you come here to America, you're an American. You are not a Mexican. When, when you come here legally. America. <laughs> he, I mean, that's like, because some people think, you know, because if I can just get to American soil, I'll be be good. But he was born here, so he's okay. a legal American citizen. Gotcha. You train here, you live here, you're getting paid in American dollars. You are a U.S. citizen. Why are we listening to the Mexican national anthem? If there's an, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like it, and I think that this is indicative of where we are now, where people have, particularly from Latin America. On certain holidays, they run up and down our streets and with these illegal immigrant rallies, waving the flag of the country their parents got the hell out of. Right. Which I think is ridiculous. Your parents got out of Guatemala for their 90% murder rates, <laughs> and you're running around our streets with the Guatemalan flag. What happens in many instances that that we have people that come here, uh, whether let's say legally or illegally, but then they leave a particular place for a reason, but then they want the place where they left to become like the place Absolutely. where they live now. Absolutely. I mean, in, in, but then when you talk about American exceptionalism, then all of a sudden you're racist. Right. Uh, that that the American flag, if you celebrate the American flag, then all of a sudden you're you're, you're a racist, and, and that's in, indicative of the 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 left, if yeah. you will. Yeah, I don't like that. I mean, it's like when you no, come, I don't like it either. When you come to this country and you make a choice to live in this country, okay, why are we celebrating the country that your parents left? I don't I don't agree with that. And I don't think I and it was I'm not the only one. There were people on Twitter during the fight asking this question, like, why are we playing the Mexican national anthem? Well, well, well guess what? If we if we were to go to Colombia, right, in, mm. in, to, to to live, guess what language we'd have to learn? Spanish, right. So here in the United States is, you know, press one for press Spanish, Spanish, press two for, you know, English. Other countries don't do that. No, if you don't. If you go to Canada, in Montreal in particular, guess what language you're going to have to speak? French. French, right? But here we want to be accommodating to everybody. Well, I, I know why. It's the politicians who mm-hmm. basically want mm-hmm. these votes. But we have to be accommodating to everyone. And I'm, I'm with you. If this is an American citizen, why are we paying, why are we paying the, the, the anthem of another country? Yeah. And I'll give you an example of France. In France... France doesn't even have signs in English. They don't even use the word email anymore. 
they've changed that to use to Coriol. Mm-hmm. They don't want any English in France. Right. They want French and French only, which is ironic because they spread their language around the world. But you know, you didn't want any other language in their country. But that's another argument. <laughs> but um, when you have countries like ours, which has ballots in like eighty different languages, correct, which is insane. We don't have an official language. I mean, we can we can we can save a ton of money by just going to just one language. Right? Yeah, and also it would be it brings people together. I, I know immigrants who are in their seventies. Or whose parents, they told me their parents didn't want them to speak Polish at home or Italian at home because they wanted them to learn English. Mm-hmm. I was told this by several of my friends. My friend Dan Messina, his mother's German, his, father was, his mother was German, his father was Italian, and they didn't want them to speak those languages in the home because they wanted them to be American. They wanted them to learn English. Mm-hmm. Those days are over because yeah. we're so accommodating, like you said. Whatever language your parents are from, we, we, we want you to speak that language. We even have a ballot when you vote in that language. I even read a curriculum from one of the local schools here where they promised to teach kids in their native language or something. Correct. It's like, where are we? Yeah. And this is where our sovereignty and the whole concept of Americanism is going to be nothing in 10, 15 years. And, and, and to, to, to piggyback on that and talk about what you do with your nonprofit as far as teaching people the, the Constitution – that then the constitution becomes at risk it does. as well because because i mean we we see we see in our own politics now that we have people who have immigrated from other places right and now they want to implement the laws mm-hmm. from those other places into our system you go to dearborn michigan i mean my goodness mm-hmm. i mean there are places where where sharia law is is taken over well it, it, the concept of americanism meaning you're here this is America, these are our rules, our values, um, doesn't matter because this country is basically, for some people, it's to be uh, catered and, and, and uh, retrofitted to whoever wants to come here. So if you're Polish, have your ballot in Polish, have your, you know, your kids taught in Polish in school. And, well, well you know. what they say is that if it's not written in a language that they can understand, they've become disenfranchised. Oh, it's nonsense. How did people come here for the last, I don't know, couple hundred years without le- knowing English? In, 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 in talking about that in particular, too, they, they had to learn English. And then when people want to talk about, well, what's written on the Statue of Liberty? They have to understand the Statue of Liberty was given, us to, given to us by France. The, the poem that is on the Statue of Liberty was not written... In, uh, by Americans to be placed on it. That was basically well, part of something that and, came and, later, and, at a later date. And that's not immigration policy written Correct. on the doggone Statue of Liberty. Correct. Give us your, pour your tire. That's not American policy. Correct. That's not an official policy of our government <laughs> to just give us every damn body and... Um, <laughs> and we'll play your anthem. <laughs> yeah, you'll play your anthem. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, when you come here, you are an American. A national anthem of Mexico... Uh, na- waving the Guatemalan flags, waving the the Honduran flags, which which people do at these immigrant rallies, is stunning. They'll run up and down the street, four or five thousand of them, demanding to be made citizens while waving a flag from a Latin American country. <laughs> and they're trying to get out of it. I mean, they're, they're they're willing to either climb a wall or go on go on the tunnel to get here from those other countries. Yeah. I mean, they're, they have a caravan from them, but they're not waving those flags when they're when they cross the border. No, they're not. Well, some of them, when they were on the way here, they were waving those flags on these caravans. They were. But we have pockets in this country that are, to me, unsettling. The largest population of Russians in this country is in, like, Brooklyn, Brighton Beach, 
and I have two half Russian nieces that live there, love them, but that's the biggest pocket of Ukrainians and Russians in New York, Brighton Beach. Then you have the largest, there's, there's more Dominicans in Washington Heights, New York than probably in Santo Domingo. Then there's largest Afghani population in California. There's the largest Armenian population in Glendale. There's Somali the, uh, Somalians in Minnesota and Columbus. In Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. There's the largest Polish population in Chicago. Outside of Warsaw, that is mm-hmm. the largest population of Polish people. Mm-hmm. Then you have all the Ethiopians in uh, D.C., Virginia area. We have a bunch of little Balkan, Balkanized areas in this country, and I don't particularly like it. Because the more we impress upon them that you don't need to be American necessarily, you don't need to learn English, we're going to have a bunch of countries well, inside of this country. Well, we do that even within, within uh, the cities that you talked about, is that you could go to Chinatown, it's all in either Korean or Chinese. In uh, New York City? In New, yeah. yeah. And, and it's like, well, you can't even read the sign anymore. I mean, right. you just go a city block and mm-hmm. you know, you're in... <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. I went to Miami a few Little years Beijing. back for a conference, but at the time I got off the plane, went to the airport, got to a cab, got to the hotel, I did not hear a word of English. <laughs> I did not. Right. Right. I mean, and that is, it is true. But what you about know? the concept, and, and we, we haven't talked about this, but I want to ask you this, that the concept is that the United States is a, uh, a melting pot. Remember, remember the idea of a melting pot? When did that change? When did we become a salad bowl, no longer a melting pot? Well, again, that's, that's not written anywhere, because in our organization, American Trinity Project, our values are e pluribus unum, out of many one, out of many one, uh, Liberty and in God we trust. It's on every coin, right? That's on our money. E pluribus unum out of many, one. Now, that was originally meant for the states, but as a people, we're supposed to be, once we get here, we're Americans, yeah. We're Polish, we're West African, we're you know Russian, we're Ukrainian, we're Mexican, but we're Americans underneath the flag. We're united under a flag, under a set of common values. We're not coming here to start a new country based on the one that we come from. But, here, but I, even have a, I even have a problem with that. For example, someone says, well, I'm Italian-American. No, you're an American. Blacks are the only ones that claim a whole continent and not a country. <laughs> so I'm an African-American. Really? What part of Africa? Africa is one of, one of the largest continents on the face yeah, of the planet. Yeah, 53 countries. Right. And, and God knows how many uh, languages and dialects. It's 800, roughly 800 <laughs> languages, and yeah. God knows how many dialects. So, so, so we're African-Americans, but no, we're not African-Americans. I mean, if a, if a cat's born in an oven, it's not a cookie, right? <laughs> so at the end of the day, we're, we're Americans. Right. And so even if a person is of Italian descent or Russian descent and they're born here, mm-hmm. they're an American. Absolutely. So to your point, the Ruiz is an American citizen. Mm-hmm. I don't care where Grandma, Grandpa, Pookie, Ray, Ray, Mama, and them come from. Right. The fact is that you're an American citizen. We need to be playing the American national anthem. Well, I'll finish with this because it's really the way I see things. Because this comes from something you're familiar with. It comes from an old uh, Jewish, uh, I guess, uh, you know, story of Maimonides. And it was about how do you become a Jew. You basically get rid of your past attachments and you, ex- you adopt our values. Correct. And that's the same as an American. You adopt our values. You 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 leave your past attachments behind. I don't mean you forget where you come from. But once you come here, we don't care where you come from. But, you become an American. But, but that's how you become an American. But black Americans, I mean, you say, well, don't forget where you came from. You know where I came from? Came from here. I didn't come from Africa. I'm here. Well, right. But I'm saying if you're an immigrant, right? You yeah, don't forget. Right. We don't say you forget, but you right. realize I'm an American. I don't play the national anthem of Mexico when I'm an American. <laughs> right. Sorry, Andy. <laughs> So, folks, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Todd Allen Show. The Todd Allen Show. 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 
The Todd Allen Show on iHeartRadio and the FCB Radio Network. Welcome back, folks. And here's one of our most favorite segments of the Todd Allen Show. You big dummy. I'll spell it for you. D-U-M-M-Y, period. Stupid. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. You big dummy. Oh, well. Um, So let me just say that we are not picking on Florida. We're not. We're not. Yeah, I mean, it may seem that way, though. Because Florida has so many dummies. And when we see these it's stories. It's a target-rich environment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these stories come up, and we're like, oh, wow, he just happens to be from Florida. I don't know whether, I don't know what it is. But anyway, this guy is, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a bit of a dummy. So this, this man was arrested. Um for pouring ketchup on his sleeping girlfriend. Pouring ketchup on a sleeping girlfriend. Yes. She said she was having an affair. So he decided to get back at her. And he just he didn't just douse ketchup on her. He covered her in ketchup. And he got arrested. He got arrested for a domestic battery. Officials responded to a home. In Pinellas Park, early Sunday, where they found a woman covered in ketchup. Pete Wagaman, the woman's boyfriend, identified in a police report. He's 37 years old. He denied the condiment attack, despite having... (laughs) 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 He denied the condiment attack, despite having ketchup on the right side of his pants. He's got evidence all over him. I didn't do nothing. (laughs) Idiot. So it's like... uh... Uh, <laughs> gunshot residue, right? <laughs> so, police said the woman quote woke up to ketchup being poured on her by the defendant as the defendant was yelling, "That's what you get, B." <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh my goodness! So Wagaman was released from county jail Monday. He has played. Pleaded not guilty to a misdemeanor domestic battery. A judge ordered Wagaman to have no contact with the victim. Her identity was not released. Oh my God! He he decided to pour ketchup. I'm glad he didn't like pour hot water or something more harmful. Yeah, or, or, or grits. Yeah, grits. Yeah, <laughs> hot grits. But he poured ketchup on her. Oh, what? While, while she was sleeping. Yeah, sicko. Yeah, right. I mean, because, because he accused her of cheating. Well, oh I, mean, like well said, I see why she cheated. <laughs> I'm not just saying I'm not saying it. But I'm just, uh, dude, that is insane. It's like, go somewhere, leave. Right. Now, well, he has no choice now because he's already been <laughs> removed. Right. And, and let's just say they live together. It, you know, now you can't go back to the house. It, it it couldn't have been a little individual package. It had to be no. A he whole... probably took a whole bottle. Right. It doubt they said she was covered in it. Wow. What an imbecile. This is, this See, is, I don't. This is from Florida. Yeah. This is hide Florida, hide your ketchup. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't get that. I don't get that. I just think that the the, the people 
who's flip out about this relationship stuff. Okay, if, say if you find out she cheated. Okay, you make arrangements to either civilly confront her about it or get the heck out. Right. That's it. But don't 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 lash out with revengeful stuff. Like what gets people in trouble a lot is revenge porn. They'll release pictures of people on the internet. Well, yeah, there, there's a uh, um, Neymar is being accused of soccer soccer great in, mm-hmm. uh, in Brazil. Neymar is being accused of, uh, of of raping a woman in in uh, France. And uh, what he did basically was he released pictures and videos and that kind of thing, which Smart. is a which is a violation of Brazilian law. Smart that, that, that you can't you can't do that. So, so. Pete Wagaman or Wagman. You are the big dummy of the week. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, but 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 talking about people just lashing out. You, we we were talking off air, and you said that there was um, a, a billionaire owner of the yes. Warriors, yes, who who could not control himself during a game, and he lashed out. Yeah, he shoved Kyle Lowry. So Kyle Lowry guess chased him. I mean, and, and, and Kyle Lowry's not one of. The, he's not. Uh, eighth man coming off the bench. No, no, he's a superstar of the team. Exactly. Along with Kawhi. And he, Kawhi Leonard, and he, I guess, goes into the stands after a ball or something. And this owner, uh, who's a part owner, uh, Mark Stevens, shoved him. And Kyle Lowry got highly upset and, like, was about to go after him. So they ejected the guy. Dude, you part owner of the team. Right. And you, you did that? That remind it, I, it's, it, it brings to me not as severe. You remember Woody Hayes? Yeah, oh, back in yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah. The late coach of the uh, the Ohio State, State Buckeyes, Buckeyes. A, a, a Clemson player inter- intercepted a pass. This is around seventy seven, seventy eight, somewhere around there. He he gets tackled on the Ohio State sideline, and Woody Hayes hauls off and slugs the kid upside the head. Yeah, I mean it was that, like a that, coach. He, that, he wasn't there for long. No, that was that. it after that. Yeah, that was it. That was the end of Woody Hayes. Yeah. But he punched the kid in the, in the face. Yeah. It, it was just so bizarre because it was like out of the blue. Right. So this the here. People get so, so upset. I mean, I mean, at least the guy wouldn't douse him with ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he was holding or, a beer. Or, in his yeah, oh, okay. At least he didn't douse him with his beer or his ketchup or you know his nachos, his 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 queso. You know, at least he didn't pour his uh, his cheese all over the guy. You know, I can't understand the people. Just are not. They don't think. And and now this guy's got ejected, and um, the NBA is going to take action against him for sure. Well, they're going they're going to strip him of his title owner. Uh, you know what? <laughs> right? I, I'll say that that. <laughs> I mean, they're going to change the name if they don't take it away yeah. from him. <laughs> you, yeah. you, yeah, you, you non boss man. Owner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a possibility that they could pressure him to sell his stake in the team. That's a possibility, yeah, right? Because he certainly violated code of conduct. Oh well, yeah. So they could say you got to sell even, your stake. Even much more than the guy that they forced to sell the uh, the Clippers. Oh, Sterling. Yeah, <laughs> he put his hands on people. Yeah. Well, I mean, Sterling did too, but it well, wasn't no. a player. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, you shoved the dude. That's an assault. And it's a star player. Yes. I mean, this is a, this is a marquee player for the NBA, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, and he's in the NBA Finals, and this is on television, so, no less. So you better believe the Raptors, uh, brass and ownership, or sorry, boss men. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go after him. check signers. <laughs> right? Yeah, they're gonna go after him. And, uh, yeah, they're gonna go after the. Uh, they're gonna. Well, 
uh, uh, who's the uh, commissioner? Stern, not Stern. No. Uh, Silver, Adam Silver. They're gonna go after this dude. And they're gonna. They'll, there'll be a meeting coming up in the next few days. <laughs> yeah, before 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 the next match. Yeah, that's for sure. So get on that private plane and bring your arts to New Jersey. Yeah, I, I think he should be a, a big dummy too. Yeah, just, you know, yeah. Mark Stevens, you're yeah. an honorary big dummy. Yeah, out of California. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Florida, California. There we go. This dude is, and he is he he is a very very wealthy man, and he's gonna have to sell the stake in the team because they're gonna say, "Dude, we're gonna sanction you. We don't want you as owner because you you assaulted a player," and and that's serious. Yeah, that that's 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 not good. Um, and and and, th- and I'm watching the video. What's interesting about it is. Laurie was not even next to him when he went into the stands, so he wasn't part of the 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 fray. So the guy ran over there. No, he didn't run over. He reached over and pushed him gratuitously, because it wasn't like Laurie was on top of him. It wasn't like he was in, in, could fall on the guy right. or anything like that. So he reached over with his left right hand and and did he reach over another fan? Uh, re- well, he reached over next. He was maybe five feet away or three uh-huh. feet away, but he reached over and, and shoved him. It was a very gratuitous shove. So it wasn't like he needed, oh, I'm just pushing him off me. He was nowhere near you. It was one of those, I'm going to get my lick in uh-huh. kind of pushes. Wow. And that's what it was. I'm looking at the video, and, right. and it's ridiculous. Well, if it wasn't an owner, if it was just a normal normal fan, would that, that fan would be going to jail. Yes. They would have took him to jail or scored. They said he would ban you for life. They've banned fans for life for verbal abuse. Right. But this guy is going to have to, he is, he's got to. Uh, so what was the result of the game? Uh, well, the war, the Raptors won. Yeah. So here's, now, Laurie. Went into the stands on top of a player to go after a ball, and this player, uh, this owner, sorry, reached his left hand over and just shoved him as if to, like, I don't know why he did it. It was stupid, but I don't know if he could say, I knew the person. I would, why did you fall in the stands next to this person I knew? I don't know if it was a relative of his. That's just hate. It is hate. You know. But probably because they were winning, too. Right. The Raptors were getting in the in the in the hind parts last <laughs> night and how much did they win by uh they won by about 10 points really something like that yeah so so kd not being there really is hurting yeah uh, the warriors yeah so but this guy's he's the talk of the nba today what Mark do you think Stevens. what do you think about uh mayfield his comments about uh one of the players uh uh leaving i have not heard uh, you know, Baker, he, Baker, yeah, I have not heard the ba- comments. Baker just basically said, you know, you know, if 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 they're not forced, they're against us. Basically, about Duke Johnson was it yeah. about Duke? Yeah. I agree with him. Duke Johnson yeah. is angry, which to me, I understand you're mad. We brought in Tyreek, uh, not Tyreek Evans, Kareem Hunt. Hunt, Kareem Hunt, but you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if Hunt's going to flame out. You don't know if Hunt's going to get injured. You don't know if you don't know what's going to happen. You're just supposed to do your job and do your part and and, and let the chips fall where they may. Well, but well, you don't cry like a baby. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the, <laughs> you're upset because somebody else is going to do your job. You still get paid. Well, he wants to play. But again, you don't know how things are going to turn out. You don't know if Kareem Hunt's going to come here and slap another woman. You don't know what's going to happen. So, Right. You're, any last words? No. I had fun today. It was a good show today. Yeah, I want to thank all of our guests. We want to uh, give a shout out to... Uh, Kalita Sims, Celeste Duffy, Chris Matthews, and Stephanie Shine. Thank you all for appearing on the Todd Allen Show. And remember, folks, we are what we continually do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Until next time, you're listening to the Todd Allen Show. The FCB Radio Network. First class broadcasting worldwide.